But today we're going to talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. In fact, if you look back in the Bible, in John chapter 11, we're going to be looking at this. And in verse 25, here's what it says. Jesus says it very clearly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, that's a pretty incredible statement. But you're going to find that he makes this statement right in the midst of this great miracle that he's performing. And so we want to back up a little bit because we want to find out the special significance that he brings to this I am statement. And so let's back up all the way to the beginning of John chapter 11. The first three verses, it says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Okay, when I read that, many of you have been in church before, recognize the story right away. Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, this was a little family, a brother and two sisters, who lived in Bethany, which was a little ways away from where Jesus was, and we're going to find that out here in a minute. In verse number three, it says, now, he's sick, so what do the sisters do? Now, you ladies who are sisters, what's the first thing you want to do for your little brother who's sick? You want to take care of him. You want to make sure that he gets to the doctor. You want to make sure that he gets healed. You want to make sure he has some chicken soup, right? And so, therefore, the sisters get very concerned, and here's what they did. Because they didn't have a, a doctor that they thought could help him. They didn't have somebody that could make chicken soup that would heal him. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now, is this the only one that Jesus loved? Ah, Jesus loved everybody, right? In fact, he loves every one of you, and he wants to provide for you. And so they knew that he was the source and the solution to the problem that they were experiencing. So what do they do? Man, they get on the phone right away, and they call Jesus, say, hey, we need some help. They didn't really have phones in those days, so you have to go with me a little bit on this. So the one you love is sick, and, and I don't know about you, but you might have this sense that you've been a little distanced from Jesus. Because you've had some experiences in life that say, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he cares about me or not. I don't even know if he knows my address anymore. And you might be going through a job change. You might be losing the job that you've loved forever. And all of a sudden you come to the end of that job or that career and you say, what's next? What am I going to do now? And you might be in that point where you say, hey, I need some help from someone. Maybe the marriage that you always dreamed of has turned into a nightmare. Okay, I don't know. Some marriages have a tendency to do that as we don't take care of the relationships that we have in those marriages. And so that dream marriage might have turned into a nightmare. And you say, where's Jesus? I need to call for Jesus. I need some help from him. Maybe you have a close friendship that's coming to an end, maybe because of their health, maybe because of their availability, maybe because they have found someone else. And you say, man, I am lonely. I am here and I don't have anybody that I can count on to help me out. I don't have anybody that I can be a friend with. How about you get a call from the principal? And it's not to let you know that your kid made the honor roll. You know, it's to let you know that your kid has become a problem in the classroom. And you say, what am I going to do? I don't know if I have the parenting skills to be able to tackle this. I don't know if I have the patience with which to deal with this. And so you say, you know, I need some help. Wherever you are, I want you to know that Jesus is waiting at the other end of the phone saying, I'm ready, willing, and able to help. Give me a call. I remember there was a little girl in a church that I pastored some years ago, and she was about 10 years old, and she got cancer. 
And as she got cancer, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in my mind, I think, man, this little girl, she's eight years old, at 10 years old, however old she was, she's eight or 10 years old. And I'm going, man, she's got a lot of life left in her. She's got a lot of years that she can spend on this earth. She has a lot of good she can do. She was a gregarious little kid. I mean, she was, she was one of the most outgoing little girls you could ever imagine. She had the blonde, curly hair. And I mean, everybody, I mean, she walked in the room, everybody just looked at her. You know, she was that, that magnetic. And I thought, man, she's got cancer. Man, the doctors are going to find the problem. They're going to take care of it. Her parents were in the Air Force. Uh, her dad was in the Air Force. And so they were out on the base. And, and they uh, uh, went to the doctor. And the doctor said, oh, man, she has this severe form of cancer. And I don't think it's going to be helpful. You know, I don't know that we can help. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future is. I don't, I don't know that she's going to make it. You know, as things evolved, we got down that road. And pretty soon, you know, we say, oh, you know, and have you ever noticed this? We never call on God until things get real severe. You know, first we say, okay, the doctors can handle it. You know, we can do the medications. We can do all the stuff. And then when that doesn't work, we have to step up to go to a specialist. And then when the specialist says, oh, man, I've, I've run out of my, uh, my stuff. I, I have nothing left to, to diagnose this with. I have no other treatment. Uh, we go maybe to, you know, a Mayo Clinic. And, and we go, oh, man, they can help. And pretty soon you run out of gas and they finally say, okay, we have to resort to God. And I always think, you know, why do we wait that long? Why don't we just go to God first because he's the one. And Mary and Martha, that's what they do. But Katie, she, she's, you know, she's going through the escalation of care and all that stuff. And, uh, and we start praying. We say, God, we need you. We need you to heal her. We need you to heal. And that's what Mary and Martha do. They get to this place and they say, you know, if it's going to happen for our brother Lazarus who's sick, it's going to take Jesus. And so they send out and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, in verse number four, here's Jesus. And he's a little ways away. Okay, he's probably uh, a couple of days away. And so when when he heard this, Jesus said, uh, you know, and he and here here's Jesus. Let me set the stage for you. He's there and he's with his disciples. And this messenger comes and says, hey, Mary and Martha just sent a message to us. The one you love, Lazarus, he's sick. They need you to come. They need you to come. And here's what he says. He says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, a lot of times when we think that we need a touch from God, we need a healing from God, it's for our benefit, right? And it does benefit us, let's be honest. That's, it's a tremendous benefit when God heals us. But the real purpose is for God to be seen. And that's what it means here when it talks about God's Son may be glorified through it. So that God's Son can be seen in all of His fullness, in all of His power, in all of His glory, so that God's Son can be seen. Now, when you get sick, what's the, what's the purpose of that? A lot of us say, well, it's just so that I'll get some rest. You know, I'll spend some time in bed. It's maybe so that other people can have the opportunity to help me out or whatever it is. No, every time that we experience something like this, it's so that God's glory can be manifest. It's so that God can be seen in the midst of all of our difficulties. Okay? So that God can be seen in our health conditions. So that God can be seen in the difficulties that we face. And so that's what it is all about here with Lazarus as well. He says, don't worry, this sickness will not end in death. Now, will it include death? If you've read the story, yeah, it's going to include death, but it's not going to end there. It's not going to end there. Now, so here's Jesus, and he's, he's kind of hanging out 
Okay, he's just hanging out there in Jerusalem, and he's waiting around. And uh, you know, here's the message: Hey, Lazarus is sick. Don't you think that if you send for the EMS, the emergency medical services, you know, you call nine one one. How how long do you want to wait? You don't want to wait any time. You want them to be here right now. And that's what Mary and Martha thought. Man, we'll call Jesus. He'll hustle on down here. He'll take care of the problem, and we will be safe and secure. Lazarus will be made well. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. He hangs out for a few more days. Okay? He hangs out while they're stressing out, okay? while they're freaking out. They're probably wondering, where is he coming? Because they see the steady decline of Lazarus' health. He's going, now he's coming down to an end. And so he waited two days. Now, all of a sudden, he comes up to his disciples. He says, okay, let's go back to Judea. Okay, let's make the trek back to Judea. Now, there's one guy there that knows that when Jesus left Judea the last time, last time Jesus was in Judea, they wanted to kill him. Okay, they wanted to kill him there. And so he's scratching his head, so I'm, whoa, wait a minute. You know, Thomas, he's, he's, a, he's a good follower, but he sometimes is limited in his vision. And he says, wait a minute, last time we were there, they wanted to kill you. What are we going to do? Go back there just so they can kill you? What good is that going to do for Lazarus? That doesn't make sense. So Jesus says, now, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Okay, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. Now, this is one of those biblical euphemisms. A euphemism is a thing that you use that says he's fallen asleep, but what it really means is he's deader than a doornail. Okay, he is dead, dead. He's not partially dead. He's not kind of dead. He is dead. Okay, and Jesus knows this, but he's using this euphemism. He says, I'm going to go there and wake him up. I'm going to go back there and bring him life. Now, there's some doubts, or, or there's some stuff that we have. There's some dead ends to faith. Have you ever noticed that? You have some things that you come against, you experience, and all of a sudden your faith, poof, it vanishes. You go, oh man, I didn't think that would happen. Um, where's God? You know? And I'm going to give you three of them that we find here in this story. There's going to be, first of all, Thomas, who's the doubting Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? So doubting Thomas was dead in his doubts, Okay. And you might be dead in your doubts today. I doubt that God could do that. I doubt that God would do that. I doubt that God even knows about me. I doubt that God is on the job. Now notice in John chapter 11, verse 16, notice what it says. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus. (laughs) Now, have you ever gone through that phase where you name your kids after biblical characters? You know, my son Jared is named after a biblical character. You know, but Didymus. Nobody name your kid Didymus, okay? Just say it with me. It's kind of a fun name to say. Uh, On the count of three, just say Didymus. One, two, three, Didymus. Now, what's it sound like? Sounds like a bad name for a rapper, you know? You know, Didymus. And you kind of bob your head a little bit when you say Didymus. You know, and I don't know. You know, so Didymus. That's just, again, bonus material. So Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciple, now notice, now, we don't, when you read stuff, you really don't get the tone. But I'm going to give you a little bit of tone here. Oh, well, let us go that we may die with him. Because he's the guy that's already said, hey, they wanted to kill you there. They just, we just left there and they wanted to kill you. And he says, okay, let's go that we may die there. Now, what does he doubt? He doubts that Jesus is going to even survive. Okay, he doubts that he's going to survive. He doubts that any good is going to come out of this. He doubts that the, the cause of Christ is going to go beyond this. So, hey, if Jesus goes and dies, poof, it's all over. So we might as well die too. 
And so he says, let's go that we may die with him. Now, anybody here, and here, raise your hand. Anybody here ever had a spiritual doubt? Okay, you people that have your hands up, I want you to look around at all the other people that do not. Okay, and I want you to just see them polishing their halos. You know, they're polishing their halos because, I mean, they're pretty perfect Christians. You know, they've never had any doubts. I want you to know I've had doubts. You know, I've had doubts. And so if you say you don't have doubts, maybe you don't have enough experience with Jesus. Because we have doubts when we call on him sometimes and say, I need you to do this. I, I'm desperate for you. I need you. I need you. I need you like I've never needed you before. And maybe, just maybe, you have that little inkling. I wonder if. I wonder if he's really going to do what I need him to do, okay? So we have doubts, and I think that most of you who didn't raise your hands, you're just scared anyway, and uh, you really do have doubts, okay? Now, have you ever prayed and nothing happened? God, I want you to do this, and it didn't happen, or it hasn't happened yet, okay? It hasn't happened yet. Uh, maybe you're, you, when you went to college, you know, you went away to college and you got involved in uh, some college stuff, and you found out that, boy, there's not very many professors on my campus that believe in Jesus. And so I wonder, and, and they're pounding me every day saying, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. And pretty soon you get to the point where you say, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if it's true. And so we have this stuff, something bad happens to you, and you wonder in your mind, where was God during that? You know, one of the big things, the events in my life was the 9-11 tragedy. And I remember all the people that I ran into, they said, where's God? Why didn't he protect us? Why didn't he save us? Why didn't he do this? And if you read the Old Testament, you'll probably have a much different view of who God is and what he has promised to do. And so, you know, we have to, we have to make some, some, some analyses of that and say, okay, well, maybe God's trying to make us aware of how fragile life can be. Make us aware of how corrupt our world has become. Make us aware of some stuff, and maybe we've been depending on the wrong things. I remember back when 9-11 happened, uh, I remember that there was the, uh, you know, the Pentagon was attacked, right? It was a plane crash in the Pentagon. And I believe that God was saying, hey, be careful lest you trust your military might more than you trust me. The Twin Towers were attacked, you know, probably the symbols of, of capitalism and monetary wealth. And God was probably saying, hey, be careful that you're trusting your wealth more than you're trusting me. Okay? There was some question about whether that last plane was going to the White House. And there's probably a message in that to us. Too. Be careful that you trust your government more than you trust me. And God's trying to get us to come back to an awareness of how powerful and mighty he is and how superior he is to any other method of trust that we could have or any other object of trust we could have. So maybe we've had some doubts, and we might fall into that category with Doubting Thomas. Well, let's take a look at Mary. There's two sisters there, Mary and Martha, right? And so they, they've sent for Jesus. Jesus has delayed. And Mary, she was dead in her discouragement. Mary was really discouraged. It says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, what did she do? She went out to meet him. Okay, Jesus is coming. One of the sisters, Martha, she runs out and meets him. Now, I think she's getting ready to give him a little tongue lashing, though, uh, but, but we'll come to her in a minute. But notice the last part of that. But Mary did what? She stayed at home. Why did she stay at home? Because all had been lost. She was so discouraged. Lazarus is already dead. Not partly dead, not mostly dead, but he is dead. 
dead, dead. And she has given up hope. We might be in that kind of situation too, where we're discouraged. We might wonder, am I always going to be this depressed? Am I always going to have such a poor outlook on life? Am I always going to be this, this scared to even go out of the house? Maybe I'm scared that I'm never going to be married. Maybe I'm never going to find the right spouse, the right person. Okay? And, and let me give you a tip if that is you today. Don't worry about finding the right person until you become the right person. Okay? Become the right person first. And then God will put the right person in your life. Uh, am I always going to fail as a parent? Are my kids always going to just, you know, never quite do the right thing? Uh, many of our kids do the right thing, and so I don't want to be bagging on all kids. Uh, but the truth is that sometimes we feel like a failure as a parent. Now, I'm always going to be that way. Am I going to find out that nobody ever really loves me for who I am? You know, maybe I'm discouraged because if the people know who I really was, they might not love me. And so, therefore, I have to put on all of this fake stuff, and I have to appear this way, and I have to be pretending and all of that. And maybe, maybe I'm in that situation. Maybe we have this discouragement that says, am I always going to be in a dead-end job? You know, no chance for promotion, no way to get, you know, a little bit ahead, you know. Uh, am I always going to be there? And maybe when I was a kid, I had this dream of becoming something. And maybe that dream is starting to die as I get older and older and older and older. And pretty soon what happens when our dreams die is that we lack passion for living. And we just start the routine Okay, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go to the dead-end job. I'm never going to get a promotion, but at least it pays for the rent and the food. And, and I'm going to come home and I'm going to pay the rent and eat the food. And then I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to get up tomorrow and do it all over again. And maybe that routine is starting to wear on me. And I'm starting to say, man, how discouraging is that? Maybe that's where you are today. But let's take a look at Martha. Martha, she was dead in what? She was dead in the delay. Okay, she was dead in the delay. Notice in verses 17 and 21, it says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how long? Four days. Why do you think he mentioned four days? So it took him some time to get there, right? Now there was this, this thought, and it was a cultural thought. It's not a biblical thought. There was this thought that when somebody died, their spirit kind of hung around for three days. Just in case... Uh, Lazarus decides he's going to get up and, and have some dinner. And then the spirit would jump back in his body. And, uh, and that was the cultural thought of the day. And so when, Jesus, when it says here that Jesus waited four days, you can imagine Martha. Martha knows that he is dead and his spirit is gone. There is no recovery in her mind. There's no recovering from this. And so I, I like the fact that Jesus waited four days. Because nobody could ever say, oh, wow, he must not have been really dead. He must have just had it. His heartbeat was beating so slowly, nobody could detect it. And now he's come back to life. No, he's been gone for four days. And nobody in the culture would, re would say, oh, he was, his spirit was hovering and it came back. No, his spirit is now gone. So it can't be their cultural thinking that has brought him back to life, but it's truly going to be Jesus. So he's been there, been in the tomb four days. And it says now, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Two miles. Anybody walk it? Can anybody here walk two miles in maybe a couple hours? Anybody here walk two miles in an hour? Anybody here walk two miles in 30 minutes? Only Vic. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to test him right after service, so we'll be right out front here. <laughs> but, but it doesn't take long, does it, to walk two miles? 
Jesus could have been there while he was still sick and before he died. And so now, here's Martha. And do you think she knows where he is because she sent somebody to go get him, right? She knows it's only maybe an hour away, you know, on a slow walk, on a hot day. And so she knows that it's not very far. She knows he could have made it in a couple of hours at best, even if he stopped off at McDonald's. And she knows that he could have been there, and he could have been there to stop this disease from taking Lazarus' life. So, now what happened when she heard he was coming? Remember a couple of verses back? She ran out to meet him. How do you think she's feeling now? Yeah, I'm going to put a little bit on her here, and it doesn't really say this in the Bible, but I think she's kind of hot. You know, she's hot about this. She's a little bit unhappy because she knows, I counted on you and you didn't show up. I counted on you and you didn't show up. And so here he comes. Now, Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem. And we skip down a couple of verses down to verse 21. And it says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we read that, and we think it's the Bible, and people talking to Jesus, and they would be very kind and polite to Jesus. But here, I'm going to read it to you like I really think she said it. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Oh. Now, remember, why did Jesus wait? Why did he wait? So that he would be glorified, so that his power would be seen, so that people all around would know it took the power of God to bring this man back to life. He knows that. And, and so here, we, we get frustrated with delays, don't we? You know, anybody here like just waiting around? Anybody here like to go to the post office and just hang out in the line? You know, you get up to the front, and you get there. You've been there for 40 minutes, and you're at the post office. You're there 40 minutes, and all the counter people there, and, and they say, they never say, hey, can I help you? They say, next. You know, and you get all the way to the front, you know, and you just love waiting in line so much. You love the delay so much. You say, hey, you know what? I think I'll go back to the back of the line again and just do this all again. Man, this has been a really good day. I'm going to wait again, you know. And you, or you go to the DMV, and they have a numbering system that you will never be able to explain. Okay, the numbers mean absolutely nothing. Okay, it doesn't give you an order that you're going to come in. Uh, you know, it's just, okay, A642. And by the time A642 is called, you know where A642 is? They're on their way home. You know, they said, I've been here for three hours. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, and we go there. And how many of you on your day off just gone over to the DMV and just sat there? You know, I love the delay. I like hanging out. Nobody likes delay. Nobody likes waiting in line. Nobody likes doing that stuff. And so maybe, maybe, maybe you've had some delays in your life. Maybe you think, oh, man, I am never going to get married. I'm never going to get married. And then you get married. Oh, I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to have kids. And then you get kids. And then you say, I'm never going to have another restful night's sleep. I'm never going to have another restful night's sleep. You know? And then you get a restful night's sleep. And you say, I'm never going to get rid of these kids. I'm never going to get rid of these kids. And they grow up to be 18. They go off to college. You go, I'm never going to have any peace anymore again. I worry about them so much. I cannot sleep at night. You know? And it's just this vicious cycle and all these delays and all this stuff. And you say, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay. Have you ever prayed for somebody you love that they would get well? You know, my mom is 94 years old. She fell and broke her leg a few months ago. And uh, I pray for her every day uh, that she will get well. And, uh, and at 94, uh, how many times are you going to get well? You know, there's an end of life at some point. You know, there's an end of life. And, you know, she might live to be 95 or 96 or 97 or whatever. But at some point, you're going to pray and that person's going to die. You know why? Because every person dies. You know, and our prayers will not overcome physical death. 
Our prayers will not, and so we, we wonder about the delay, the delay, the delay. Okay, um, let me tell you this. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. He's not saying no. He's just saying, hang on. Because sometimes when you get to the end of that story, God will be made known. And that's his goal. Remember, Jesus has said, this isn't for death. This isn't going to end up, this is going to end in death. It's going to involve death, but it's not going to end in death. It's so that my power, the Son of God's power, can be glorified. So it can be seen. Okay? And that's what happens in your life as well. And so here, God's delays are not God's denials. But here, Martha says in John eleven twenty two, she says something that I want you guys to learn to do. Okay? She says this, but I know now, I know. That even now, and what's even now mean? Even though my brother Lazarus is dead, he's dead. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. God will give you whatever you ask. Even now. And many of you in this room today need to have an even now moment. You've had the delay. You've had the discouragement. You've had the doubts. And you need to have an even now moment. As I was preparing for, for the message today, I was reading the, you know, a lot of times I don't read the Bible. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't read, I, I mean, my, the, my physical Bible, you know, I have it on my phone, I have it on my computer, and I do all my studies and stuff on that. And this last week, I actually read it in my Bible, and that's not that uncommon. However, I did find something kind of interesting. John chapter 11 starts on page 1130, okay, 1130 in my Bible. And you know what? All of the bad stuff happened on 1130, you know, on page 1130. And at the end of that, it's, you know, Thomas doubted, Jesus delayed, Lazarus dies, you know, the ladies get unhappy, all the mourners come. That all happens on page 1130. You turn the page to 1131 and you know what happens? Jesus shows up, Jesus heals. Many of us today need to have an 1131 moment too, okay? We need to turn the page. We need to turn the page because most of us are living in this past. We're living in what? Our doubts. We're living in our discouragement. We're living in the delays. And we think that's all there is. But even now, there can be an 1131 moment in your life. And I want you to turn the page from where you've been to where God wants to lead you. Loneliness. You know what? Jesus says, if you're lonely today, I am your comforter. I'm your comforter. And that's what happens on page 1131. You're lonely on page 1130. On page 1131, you are comforted. Many of you have confusion in your life. You don't know what to believe. You don't know where to go. You don't know what's going to happen. You have this confusion. But Jesus says, I am peace. Okay, if you abide in me, you will have peace. And so Jesus is saying, nah, that's 1130, your confusion, your stuff. But the peace happens on page 1131. Maybe you're having financial trouble. Jesus says, I'm your provider. The financial trouble's on page 1130, but on page 1131 is provision, provision for you. Maybe you're coming from a broken family, and maybe you guys uh, re- you know, kind of regret that. Maybe you look, don't look forward to Thanksgiving because all of the people are going to be there. And you say, I don't know if so-and-so's there, I'm not going to go. And you have this broken family kind of thing. But Jesus says on page 1131, I can put everything back together again. If Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall, the king can put it back together again. And so he can put your family back together again. Maybe the mistakes you've made, you think, gosh, 
God could never use me. It doesn't matter. My life is wasted. But Jesus says on page 1131 that your life does matter. Your life matters so much that I will go to the cross and die for you because of my great, tremendous love for you. Your life matters. And when somebody comes from a position where they think their life doesn't matter, Jesus makes a tremendous change in that. You know what's shown there? The power of God. God's glory is manifest in your life when he does that 1131 moment. Maybe you're cold and calloused toward God right now. Maybe you're saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm resistant. Maybe I try to put it out, put it out, put it out. But I want you to know that Jesus says he can make your heart soft. He can take that hard heart of stone and he can make it a soft heart of acceptance. Maybe you think that you're dead. You know, there's just no good going on. There's just nothing good. My life is dead. I'm dead on the inside. I'm still living, but you know, there's just nothing good going on. And I want you to know that Jesus says on page 1131, I can bring life to you. I can bring life to your life. I can change everything there is about you. Notice what Jesus does here on page 1131. In verses 23 through 26, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, she knows a little bit about this resurrection stuff, and she knows that after everybody dies, you know, God's going to do something, and all the people in the graves are going to rise again on the last day, and they're all going to go to heaven, okay? Uh, those followers of Jesus Christ, I should say, are going to rise and go to heaven. But she said, and she, so she says this, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You know, she says, yeah, when, when we all die and, and then we go to heaven, we know that, I know that that's going to happen. But Jesus said to her, notice what he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is our passage right here. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks her a vital question. He says, do you believe this? And that's a question he asks you here today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that even though you die, you're going to live with me in heaven? He says, do you believe this? And, and, Let's back up a little bit to verse 25. He doesn't say, like I said earlier today, he doesn't say, I can resurrect him. I can bring him back to life. I can do whatever needs to be done. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the resurrection. Jesus points forward to when he's going to die. And he is going to be the resurrection of all resurrections. He's going to be the one that pays the penalty for sin and conquers death and gives life to those who follow him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. So there's a place for you here to fill in. The resurrection is not an event. Guess what? It's a person. The resurrection is a person. It is Jesus. And so when we come to celebrate the resurrection, we come to celebrate not an event, but we come to celebrate a person who is victorious over death, who has conquered death in the grave, who has given life to those who follow him, who changes everything. It's okay to clap. I want you to know. That's if you're ever going to clap in church, now's the time. Clap, please, clap. Yeah. Because there's nothing more important than that. Now, in John 11, 43 through 44, here's the great thing. When he had said this, you know, he tells Mary and Martha, he tells Martha, he says, oh, he's, I'm going to raise him. You know, he's, I am the resurrection. He's not going to die. He's not going to stay dead. He says this. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. What did he say? Lazarus, come out. Now, why do you think he said it in a loud voice? Maybe dead people have a hard time hearing. Yeah. <laughs> I've preached to a lot of dead people, and they don't hear. I want you to know that. Yeah. 
I'm just messing with you there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that he wanted the people around to hear. What had he come there to do? To display the power of God. And it wouldn't be very miraculous if he says, hey, yo, Lazarus, come on out here. Surprise the people. No, he wanted them to know why Lazarus had come out of the grave. So he said, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And all the people went, because you know what happened? He came out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody wrapped with strips of linen, but I, in my mind, it looks like a guy with toilet paper all around him, you know, and this, the stuff hanging off, you know. Um, and, and so here he comes out of the grave, and he's got this thing over his face, uh, a cloth around his face, and he comes out of the tomb. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this. I dare say you have never experienced anything like this. And I want you to know the power that it takes for this to happen. There's only one person who could do this, and that is Jesus. And he says this. And so what did Jesus tell him? He says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Now, the tomb had been closed. You know why the tomb had been closed? Because dead bodies stink. Okay. In fact, in the King James Version, it says, and Lazarus stinketh. Yeah, I always love the King James English, you know, the Elizabethan, he stinketh. You know, I would just say he smelled really bad. Uh, but it says in the King James Version, he stinketh. And uh, he did. He was in there stinketh for four days. And you can imagine the stench once you roll that stone away. In fact, Martha said, oh, no, don't roll the stone away. He, he smells bad, you know, and, and we don't want that happening here. And so he calls out, Lazarus comes up. And he says, roll the stone away. Now, Jesus tells the disciples, take the stone away. Now, there's a stone on your life, okay? When you're in your doubt, your discouragement, the delays, there's a stone rolled tight against all of that stuff. And you know what Jesus is saying to you today? Roll the stone away. Jesus is saying, roll the stone away. And Jesus has the power to roll that stone away so that in your doubt, in your discouragement, in your delays, he can communicate with you and let you know that he is the God of love. He is the God that can take away all the stink of your life. He can take that stench away. And the stench doesn't bother him right now, but he wants the stone to be rolled away so he can give you life so that the stink of your life goes away. Kind of interesting when we compare that when Jesus died. Okay, there were some ladies that went down to the tomb and they said, who's going to roll the stone away? You know, we're just a couple of ladies, man. There's a big stone over the hole there. Man, whew, man we can't do it. When they got there, guess what? The stone had been rolled away. God had rolled the stone away. And the angels had come, and they'd done, done miraculous things. And I want you to know today that Easter Sunday, and I hope you mark this day down in your diary as the day that Jesus rolled the stone away for you. He rolled the stone of doubt away from you. He rolled the stone of discouragement away from you. He rolled the stone of delay. Or whatever stone you have erected over the tomb that says, hey, there's no future here. There's no future in my life. There's no hope for the future. I know that nothing's going to change. I hope you mark this day today as being 1131 day. Even now, God can roll the stone away. Come out of your doubts. Come out of your discouragement. Come out of your delays. And that's what God's calling. Now notice when Jesus calls Lazarus, he calls him by name, doesn't he? He says, Lazarus, come out. Because I believe that if Jesus had just said, come out of the tomb, Man, everybody, everywhere. I mean, he would, have had more, he would have had more than he could handle. I believe that that's how powerful he is. 
And today, when he says, come out of your tomb today, that he's got enough power for each and every one of you. And he says, come out of the tomb, be rescued, be made complete. If God can defeat death, God can do anything. You know, when you think about Lazarus, he brought him back to life. And he can take care of the situations that you find in your lives today. Okay? You need to have a flip the page from 1130 to 1131. Start new. God's calling your name. God's calling your name. Just as he called Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he's calling your name today. Come out of the tomb. Come back and be rescued. Come out of the tomb and show the people the glory of God happening in your life, the change that can take place in your life. Remember Katie Powell I talked to you about earlier? Oh, I didn't mention her by name. Yeah, the little girl named Katie Powell. And, uh, and she got cancer. She died. Yeah. And I prayed hard. I prayed hard that God would heal her. I prayed God that he would rescue her from the pain and the suffering. But he chose not to. You know why? Because sometimes, even in death, God can be glorified. I remember thinking, oh man, if Katie had been brought back to life, if God had rescued her from this sickness, so many people would have been blessed by that. So many people would have seen the power of God. But I remember four or five days later, we had a funeral for her. I mean, the church was packed. It was packed full of people who don't go to church. It's packed full of people who are on the base, doctors, nurses. They were just, I mean, wall-to-wall people. And they heard the story of Katie's life, told largely by her dad. And they knew about her trust in Jesus. They knew about her confidence in what God would do for her. And there were lives changed that day. And God was glorified even in her death. God was glorified. God's power was made known. And people's lives were changed. So no matter what happens in your life from this point forward, God can deliver you from everything. God can make your life meaningful. But even in our death, God wants to be made known. He wants us to be able to show, man, I trust him no matter what happens, no matter what the future has. And so I ask you the same question that Jesus asked. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God can make a change in your life? Do you believe that God makes a difference in your life? Do you believe that God is worth trusting? Do you believe that God is worth giving everything you have to everything you know about him so that he can be made known in your life? I pray that today the answer is yes. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Even though he dies. Do you believe this? I'm going to ask you to bow with me. And I'm going to ask you to do a little soul searching. What are the things that keep you from really counting on God? What are the things that really keep you from trusting Him fully? Is it the doubts, the discouragement, the delays? Whatever it is, name it today. And I'm going to ask Jesus to roll the stone away and call your name to come forth.